Aloha, everyone. On behalf of Domino's Hawaii, we wanted to take a moment to thank our team members for working through these trying times. And we wanted to thank our community for not just supporting us, but most importantly, supporting each other amid this climate of change and continued uncertainty. It is difficult to fathom some of the recent tragedies that have occurred, but what we can do collectively is aspire to be better for one another. We don't want to disrupt this message by taking time to promote some meaningless special. All that can be found on our website or app. Instead, once again, mahalo for your strength and your character. And we look forward to our very special community here in Hawaii getting back to work and making the world a better place. And with that, let's talk sports. What's up, Jordan? Back at it. And as we like to do, we like to warm things up. A little pregame topic, so let's do so with Kenny the Jet Smith of Inside the NBA on TNT, who said the other day that Dame Lillard had the most shooting range in the league and then specifically went out of his way to suggest that he had even deeper range than Steph Curry. Curry took exception on Twitter saying the Jet was tripping. So to warm up, who do you agree with? Who has more range, in your opinion, Dame or Steph? I think it's Damian Lillard now. He's my guy. It's Dame time. The, the bubble is Dame time. Steph and the Warriors, we know they didn't make it. It's a rebuilding year. Plus, he didn't play much at all this season. But, I mean, how do you argue with what Damian Lillard is putting up? We know the wizardry that is Steph Curry and his ability, particularly off the dribble, to get his shot off. But it's Dame time right now. I, I, I don't know. I haven't seen anybody just willingly – and in the face of pressure pull up from areas that he's pulling up, right? What, what are the numbers? From 30 to 34 feet, he's shooting 40% this season. I think it's like 39.8%. I rounded up for argument's sake. Uh, 66% between 35 and 39 feet. From deep, deep, deep range, he's shooting 66%. He's, he's like 8 of 12. It's ridiculous what he's doing. It's over 40% overall from three. Compared that to Steph last year, because I felt like it wasn't fair to compare it to Steph of this year, because Steph, as we mentioned, had been hurt for most of the season. Uh, from 30 to 34 feet, 38%, pretty comparable. From beyond 35 feet, 0 for, he's like 0 for 3. He doesn't even attempt shots that deep. And here's Dame just at least twice a game coming off of picks, like at the logo, letting it fly. So, yeah, I, I love me some Steph. He's one of the most fun guys to watch. But range, like pure range, nobody's stopping Dame. Yeah, I mean, if you're saying right now because Steph Curry isn't playing at the moment, then yeah, Dame has more range. If he were just hitting layups, he would have more range at the moment than Steph Curry. But you have to, I think, to be fully fair and honest, is go back a couple of years to the championship seasons for the Warriors where Steph, in that same range that you're talking about, shot 47% between 30 and 35 feet. And then beyond that, he was making a pretty incredible and eye-popping percentage as well. Uh, I think I go with Steph Curry, though. The reason that Dame Lillard is even doing these kinds of things is because Steph Curry. The reason that Trey Young is even the entity that he is in the league is because Steph Curry. Steph Curry's the OG for the long-range shooters. He changed the game. He opened it up for guys like Dame Lillard to pull up from the logo in transition. It is because of Steph, and by virtue of that, I say Steph is the range king. Sorry, Jet. We're talking about 2020 basketball, man. We're talking about bubble ball. And in Orlando, Dame Lillard is the king. All right. That's hard to argue with that to this point. That's for sure. 
All right, time to welcome everybody to the show. Another episode of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. Of course, we like to talk Hawaii sports and beyond. There's not much in the way of Hawaii sports. A couple of headlines here or there, but definitely a lot more beyond here as it currently stands. Uh, but we also like to introduce some very interesting discussions with some very interesting people. And we got one here for this episode, Kai Kamaka III. Kai Boy Kamaka, the fighting Hawaiian. He comes from mixed martial arts DNA, Pearl City product who defeated Tony Kelly in his UFC debut last weekend, a preliminary featherweight bout via unanimous decision at UFC 252. Fight took place in Las Vegas. Earned the fight of the night honors, which came with the $50,000 bonus uh, he took the fight on four days notice he had been staying in las vegas at a family member's house to basically make himself more available and that really paid off and now he is in the ufc and just awaiting his next date to hopefully uh, show off his skills again uh, great to talk with him he recalls memories when he was just around five years old running around the blazedells during some of the old rumble on the rock and Super Brawl and Icon event days where his dad was either fighting or cornering for his uncles, Ron June and Ray Brada Cooper. Like, it's just amazing the stock that this guy comes from, and we get into it with him in this interview. Really fun to talk to Kai. Um, you couldn't have asked for a better debut than he had in his UFC uh, debutante, if you will, fight of the night. I mean, come on. And, and an absolutely entertaining bout he had with Kelly. And then, yeah, his... His knowledge, he is a historian of the local fight game. Uh, I feel like he should almost start a podcast where he can tell stories from his point of view, uh, talking about the old glory days of Hawaii MMA. That, that might have been the most impressive part of, of uh, him talking story with us, uh, a thoroughly entertaining conversation. Yeah, some of my fondest memories, for sure, being able to call some of those events and uh, just saw some great fights, some big names. Hawaii was the epicenter at that time, man. TJ Thompson, Pat Freitas, those guys did such a great job. And so, yeah, this interview allows us to get into Kai Kamaka and what he's all about, but also kind of gives us a sense of nostalgia as to where he came from and sort of how important Hawaii has been in the evolution of mixed martial arts. All right, we move on to our game time topics and the first one that we'll hit on Cole let go former Hawaii quarterback Cole McDonald was waived the other day by the Tennessee Titans the Titans cut McDonald basically to make room for the signing of a more veteran quarterback Trevor Simeon who will likely be the primary backup to Ryan Tannehill now if not claimed off waivers by another team McDonald could be signed to the Titans practice squad that is a likelier scenario being that the practice squads here for this season have been expanded but McDonald was a seventh-round pick of the Titans. There was a little bit of an investment in him by virtue of the signing bonus and whatnot. How surprised are you by this decision, especially this early on in training camp by the team? Uh, somewhat surprised for, for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, the draft pick investment, the financial investment, the only thing guaranteed, as you pointed out, was the signing bonus. He had some time potentially to, to earn his spot through camp, but I, I do think you know, in some of the reports that came out, especially from locally there in Nashville, he never quite looked comfortable out there. We thought maybe it might be a nice fit just based off of his big arm, a lot of play action, a lot of rollouts. His best attribute at times has been his athleticism, especially throwing on the run. Uh, but I think for him, for, for rookie quarterbacks trying to make rosters on the back end, this year is, is, it's as hard as ever because of the limited time they had to get in the building prior to camp starting. There's no preseason for him to go play his way, to build his confidence, to build confidence 
of those in decision-making positions, such as Mike Vrabel and that front office. It, it, you're going to value guys like a Trevor Simeon, who, who have won games as starters in this league, and a guy that is just more built in when it comes to, to capital, when it comes to experience, uh, and that's going to be at the expense of guys like Cole McDonald. Yeah, and I think the fact that you don't have any preseason games here in the run-up is going to prompt teams to make these decisions much quicker than they otherwise would, right? A great example is one that we were introduced to via Hard Knocks on HBO, the second episode that aired just the other night, with Austin Eckler, the primary now feature back for the Chargers, where basically it wasn't until the fourth preseason game that he was given legitimate running back reps, showed his stuff, the team decided to keep him, and now he has, just a few seasons later, turned into their feature back. Uh, these rookies, especially late draft picks and undrafted signings, uh, they're not going to get that opportunity. And so teams aren't necessarily motivated to wait around and linger with regard to decisions on these guys. And I think Cole McDonald falls victim to that. And so the, the Titans are much more inclined to just say, hey, look, uh, we don't have a lot of time to see how this develops. Uh, we need to kind of get into game mode as quickly as possible with the team and roster that we know will be active here for the very first game in mid-September. Cole McDonald, like many other rookies, uh, probably will be facing the fire earlier in this process than in any other season simply because of the situation at hand, which is a lack of preseason games and a lack of those opportunities to get those kind of reps. All right, we move on. Uh, is the NBA bubble in danger of bursting for the L.A. teams? That's right. The Lakers dropped their opening playoff game against the Blazers. At the time of this recording, they have yet to tip off game two against Portland. The Clippers, meanwhile, they got beat up pretty good by the Mavericks in game two of that Western Conference first-round series. And that's after the Mavs blew a chance to possibly take game one when Kristaps Porzingis was ejected after picking up two technical fouls. So uh, for all intents and purposes, the Mavs, could be up 2-0 in this series. They have played the Clippers very tough. So I ask you, Jordan, which L.A. team is most in danger here? I, mean, I think at the end of the day, when, when we revisit this after the end of the season, we're probably going to say neither. Like, I, I still think those L.A. teams have the chops to work their way through this first round. they got two really tough opponents. That Mavs team, how good is Doncic? He is unbelievable just how he controls a basketball game. Remember the pundits when he was coming out of Europe? Uh, he's not athletic enough. Uh, I think that's that's been put to bed. I, if, you, if you're going to choose, though, I do think it's the Lakers. I think what Portland plays with is this fearlessness, right? And you have guys like Damian Lillard and um, Carmelo Anthony and uh, C.J. McCollum who – who have the ability to catch fire. And now they've only got to win three more games. And they, those guys can carry each other, especially if the Lakers keep shooting like they have. And this wasn't just a one-off, right? It's been basically since they got to the restart, since they got to Orlando, they have not been shooting the ball with any sort of consistency. It's been a whole lot of Anthony Davis and LeBron James trying to carry the team. And even at that, AD hasn't played great. LeBron's played okay, but not necessarily up to his Superman standards. And so... They're a little lackluster right now, I think. And, and what we've seen from the Clippers is this ability to kind of flip the switch. I don't know if it's a great trait to have, but they, they've shown it throughout the season where when they need to, they'll up at another level. And I still think with all of their defenders that they can throw out at Luka Doncic and, and the rest of the firepower for the Mavericks, I, I, I think they're in a better position um, because I, I just think the Blazers are a little more dangerous because of the way they can shoot the ball. Yeah, I actually, it's just funny. This first round series, which is supposed to be the easiest for teams that are seeded the highest, uh, these matchups, I think, might be the worst 
that the Clippers or Lakers could be faced with, at least prior to a possible L.A. versus L.A. series later on in the playoffs. Like, the Blazers are so guard-talented. The Lakers don't have that much to throw back at Portland, either defensively or offensively, from the backcourt. Uh, certainly with Danny Green shooting as poorly as he is and the Lakers as a whole, I think they were, among all the 22 teams in the bubble, they were the worst shooting team from three and overall field goal percentage. Uh, I think that game one for the Lakers, a little freaky deaky, though. They shot something like 27% on transition buckets, which is like an historically low percentage And so I think some of that is a little freaky deaky. Some of that uh, will be looked upon as more of an outlier here as this series moves forward. I think Anthony Davis has to play better, right? 28 points, 16 rebounds, not bad in the scorebook. But you look, it was 7 of 24 from the field. uh, And he just didn't have the capability, it seemed, to assert himself when the Lakers needed him to the most. I mean, if if you don't win with a LeBron monster triple-double like that, and hey, look, LeBron missed a couple of key free throws and all that, uh, and the Lakers were still very much in that game in the closing minutes, uh, I I think if you waste one of those monster LeBron triple-doubles, that doesn't bode well. So I, I do agree with you that the Lakers have much more concern, at least offensively, because they just haven't been shooting the ball better. But there were also some really, really weird and peculiar things that happened in that game one. As for the Clippers, my pick to come out of the West... I'm a little bit worried about that because their one signature, right? Their one calling card above all else is defense, right? Being able to defend, switch on screens, uh, and just be one of the most efficient defensive teams in all of basketball. And yet the Mavericks carved them up. I mean, it was laughable at times throughout that game too. And you can even look at at certain stretches of that game one. Uh, You're right about Luka, man. This guy is unbelievable. He is a generational type of talent. And he, against Kawhi Leonard when he gets switched out on him, against Paul George when he gets switched out on him, he's still able to get basically anywhere he wants to. It is mind-boggling. And so when he's out there on the floor – The Mavericks are dangerous. And I think what the first two games have proved to them, and we'll see what happens in game two of the Lakers Blazer series could be a very similar scenario. But I think what that those two games have proved for the Mavs is we can hang with these guys. Like we can legitimately play with one of the NBA championship favorites here. Uh, As long as those guys stay healthy and on the floor, uh, this could be a very, very interesting series. So uh, my long answer to the question is, I don't know, they both might be in trouble. <laughs> that would be something, right? If, if for whatever reason, those both, both of them go out, uh, that things would be turned up inside their head. Uh, just one last quick point on, on the Lakers and kind of right to your point about the guards for the Blazers. I think Avery Bradley, right? Not having Avery Bradley for the Lakers has been huge, much more than I thought, much more than I thought would be um, evident. But I, I think offensively and especially defensively, they really miss Avery Bradley. I mean, we all love the bald eagle, Alex Caruso, but uh, that's a lot. That's a lot to put on his shoulders to have to go up against that backcourt. And where was Deion Waiters? Heck, even J.R. Smith didn't get really any yeah. run in that first game. Uh, you wonder, because Deion Waiters actually gave them some offensive lifts uh, during the pre-playoff games in the restart. So we'll see how it uh, pans out here. All right, uh, let's get to one more game time discussion. And uh, this one is a bit heavy, college football concerns overall. So there's sort of a lot to munch on here. But uh, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren responded to requests by parents, players, and others uh, for a more detailed explanation as to why the Big Ten Conference decided to postpone fall sports, including football. He cited what he described as reliance on medical experts and advisors, said that the vote 
among university presidents was overwhelmingly in favor of postponement, adding that the decision would not be revisited. All along, the Big Ten has referenced concern over a heart condition that is said to be associated with COVID-19. And there are several athletes in the Big Ten and other conferences that are said to have been diagnosed with this condition, myocarditis, which can possibly lead to heart arrhythmia. So it is a very serious circumstance here that presents itself with regard to the COVID-19 virus. There was a recent story about a Georgia State quarterback. There are other anecdotal instances of myocarditis being found in players, even if they were previously asymptomatic. Meanwhile, you got the SEC, Big 12, ACC, appearing to continually move forward here with the idea of playing football. So, Jordan, I know this is a tough one. Uh, where are we, though, with regard to the potential risk being assumed by these college athletes? You know, I don't think we know. I, I really don't think we have a good grasp on it. And that isn't from the side of, well, we don't really know how bad it is, so why don't we just play? I, I look at it from the other side, right? We see more anecdotal evidence, and I'm not smart enough to tell you how statistically significant that is when it comes to some of the, the heart conditions, some of the other uh, lasting effects that we have seen, or at least long-term effects that we have seen. I guess we can't really say lasting effects at this point, uh, you know, less than a year since we've seen some folks come down with the, um, the impacts of COVID-19. But I think from that aspect, I, I, I can't comfortably say what the level of risk is. I think it could be a lot more is what we're potentially seeing from some of this. And so you're asking these athletes, right, to get out there. More and more campuses are saying, hey, we're, we're not even kids back on campus, even though they're in the dorms. And so it's constantly changing. The goalposts seem to be constantly moving when it comes to what is considered safe. I think that's the hard part of it. It's just that we, we really don't know. These Big Ten institutions are among the biggest athletic budgeted universities in the country. And so I think there's so much more credibility to the idea that they're concerned about the safety and the health of the student athletes. Uh, and, and so that's what shakes me up a little bit more about this topic is like, all right, I, I think we can take the Big Ten pretty seriously here because it's the big bleeping 10. And if anybody can afford, like the SEC, like the Big 12, if anybody can afford to move forward with fall sports, it would be the Big Ten, at least from a financial standpoint. So it's got to be something else. Uh, and then I, I think the other concern that I have, and look, we're not medical experts by any stretch. Uh, like you said, we know nothing really about just how serious this condition that's associated with COVID-19 can be, how long it potentially lasts. All I know is there are some athletes who will not be able to play this season because of it. And these are younger people who have, you know, the long narrative as it has pertained to the coronavirus is that young people, they're not in the demographic of high risk. Uh, and yet you have these kinds of things associated with it. I think the other side of it, which uh, buys into a little bit more of what we saw with that unity movement on the part of college student athletes is a lot of these institutions have made the announcement. A lot of these institutions that are still moving forward with college sports and football, uh, they have decided to go all online for their curriculums. And so you're not going to have students on campuses and yet they're continuing to move forward with having student athletes on campuses. And so they are categorizing student athletes as a different kind of student right, as a different category altogether. Uh, and I think that that contradicts what has long been the justification of, you know, amateurism in sports and long been the justification of why we don't pay to a larger degree these athletes. Like, well, they're not employees. They're just regular students on scholarship. 
but they are not being treated like other scholarship students. They are being treated, frankly, as if they are, under these circumstances, employees. And so that introduces a whole other layer to this discussion is, all right, these are the, the athletes, these young people who are going to be assuming the greatest amount of risk here among your entire student population. What are the ramifications of that? Uh, what are then the motivating factors of that? What are then the elements of this, this multi-billion dollar industry that they are now by virtue of what you are putting on full display right in front of the world to see entitled to. And, and I think that that just complicates this thing so much more. It's not just about the health of the student athletes as it should probably be, but it's also about what they really are, what their identity as it pertains to this big business that's been constructed here, what is their true role? And I think we're kind of now seeing, dare I say, the ugly truth of that to a large degree on full display. Yeah, it, it, it really is coming from that, right? And that's why I think the players are so smart with, the, with whether you want to call it the unity movement or even that we want to play statement that was put out there, right? Uh, kind of listing some demands. And if you're going to be treated as sort of an essential worker, uh, you might as well bargain your way into that thing, right? And I, I think it's I think it's very, very astute by a lot of the leadership when it comes to the players. And, and what comes of it, I, I'm not sure yet, right? Especially as some conferences aren't playing, some are. Um, but just just the level of uncertainty still still doesn't sit well with a lot of people. And, and I would put myself in that group. All right, with that, we head to our Domino's Hawaii main topping. And it is our discussion with Kai Kamaka the third, Kai Boy Kamaka, the fighting Hawaiian. You got to love that nickname. Uh, coming off of his victory in his UFC debut at UFC 252 against Tony Kelly. Uh, again, he goes way back in the history of mixed martial arts. He comes from incredible stock. Uh, it is almost destiny for him to be in this position. And he talks about all of that. So let's, uh, without further ado, get right into it. Our interview with Kai Kamaka the third. All right, here with the fighting Hawaiian Kaiboy Kamaka. How you doing, bro? What's uh, what's what's happening here in the days since your big UFC debut? Uh, nothing much. I kind of just been letting the adrenaline kind of, kind of, I mean, dump, kind of go away and catch up on sleep. I haven't <laughs> had much since you know it's been two fights in three weeks. So yeah, that's wild. I mean, just the life of a fighter who's you know still building a name and still trying to go up those rungs of the ladder. You got to be ready whenever they call you. Now that you've had a few days to sort of look back on that fight, and it was such a celebrated fight, and it was the fight of the night, and you got the bonus. What have you been thinking about about your performance and what you referred to on social media when sort of going back and forth with Tony Kelly after the fight, saying, "Hey, look." He was a great dance partner. Uh, what, what do you think about sort of the dance and performance you guys put on? Um, sure. I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think about Tony Kelly much until, like, it was time to fight. I didn't want to overthink him, you know. Um, I, I only took the fight on Tuesday. And it's four days notice. So I, I, I couldn't think about it much, you know. I kind of just, you know, ignored the fact. And I didn't want to uh, focus on too much video of him. I just heard bits and pieces. And I kind of just stuck to that. And then, um, but the fight itself, I don't think I would have had it any other way. You know, I mean, regardless if somebody else, I don't know how, I didn't really watch the fights that night. I kind of was just like in and out of it because I was so like, I wanted to, I, my body or my mind wanted to eat everything and just drink everything. But so I was kind of watching and I was kind of tired. And then, um, yeah, I wasn't really watching. 
So I don't know how good the other fights were, but I was just, you know, if there was another great fight and we didn't get the bonus, it was just happy that everybody else loved the fight. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, you can't, like I said, yeah, I mean, I needed a good dance partner because if it was only me trying to make that fight happen, it, it, it wouldn't have happened. So, and then we wouldn't have got that bonus. I would have been, if he didn't fight me, I would have had to been chasing him around. It would have been <laughs> as exciting, so. Yeah, you guys definitely were uh, not shying away from each other at any point throughout that fight. When you're in the middle of something like that, and you're in the middle of something that, that certainly anyone watching was just enthralled by, uh, do you get a sense of that when you're in the cage, when you're in the octagon? Do you get a feeling like, oh, this is, this is pretty good. This is, this is a great fight. Or are you just so immersed in everything that's technically happening throughout the fight? Um, sure, I don't know. I, I don't I don't know on either side. I think kind of kind of a little bit of both. I mean, especially in right now, there's no um, there's no fans, right? So I could hear my corner. So I mean, of course, the technical part of it, I'm think I'm still thinking about, and um, you know, but at the same time, I'm I'm in the as it's it's like a it's like a glorified sparring match, you know, if I could put it in terms, um, because I mean, we train we train hard, um, and we train really hard and our sparring sessions are really hard and it's, and it's pretty quiet. It's on, we have a small team. So it was kind of like that, except this one, like, um, this one has a lot less padding, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it, it felt kind of the same as close as, as close as sparring with really small gloves. And I mean, yeah, it was kind of like, it was still trying to be technical, but it was like, Oh my God, it was getting so, so, I mean, the fatigue was kind of setting in and you just kind of had to dig deep and the uglier it started to get. You, you mentioned not really paying too much attention to Kelly prior to the fight. Uh, you came out super aggressive. Was that something that was very purposeful in how you started that first round? Yeah, it was because, I mean, I heard bits and pieces from, like, um, Dominic Cruz on his in inactivity, and as well as my, my uncle and my cousin. Like, oh, yeah, he, he's fought, like, once in the past um, few years. But that, that last fight was a world title fight who some who, – um, in LFA, and, and that guy is also, he's, he's pretty successful right now in the UFC, the guy that he fought. Um, he lost that fight, but I knew, you know, it was a five-round war, so I knew it would still, I mean, he, he would still be tough. Um, but my, I mean, pressure, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to apply a lot of pressure because, I mean, once fatigue sets in, you know, bad habits would arise, and I thought that I could get him, you know, because this is my, like, I'm on a five-fight win streak. I've been a lot more active than him, so I kind of wanted to make it that type of fight. Yeah, including that fight you, you talked about uh, just three weeks ago uh, in South Dakota, I believe it was. Uh, you you kind of relocate to Vegas temporarily, uh, waiting for that call. What Was the call that came Tuesday something that you, you had a feeling was coming, or or how out of the blue was it to to get that that big call for the Saturday fight? Um, no, I mean, the call, it, the call is something like, you don't ever feel like it's going to come, you know, like, so I, I, I felt like, yeah, it was going to, I mean, it was going to hit or I, too, I'm telling myself every day, yeah, I'm going to get the call, you know, but there, I mean, I'm still like, oh, am I ever going to get called, you know, at the same exact time? Because that's like, that's like, like some kid getting called to the NFL, you know, it's the closest thing. Um, so, I mean, you just don't ever, like, as, as good as you are, you don't believe it until you're actually there. You know I mean so? I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm training like I'm anticipating that call, but in my head, I'm still having doubts. Like, shoot, am I wasting my time here? Right? There's people. I mean, there's some people back home. Like, I don't know. I don't know. You're kind of roll like, 
um, you're kind of rolling the dice. I'm like, yeah, I am rolling the dice. I mean, in Hawaii, I'm at a disadvantage. You know, I'm far away, nothing going on. So the commute, you know, I mean, I'm just I'm here. I'm readily available. But if nothing happens, hey, you know what? I tried. And um, so, yeah, I was I was um, physically I was um, physically I was anticipating the call with my training. But there was there was doubts like who I mean, I might be doing this for no reason. I got two kids back home. My wife is pregnant. You know what I mean? So, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, there was times where I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to call, but my the people around me, like uh, my cousin Ray, Uncle Ron, they were being really optimistic. Like, I, th- I think it's coming. I think it's coming. And uh, my manager, he was pressing Sean Shelby a lot, and he, he was saying that we were getting close. We were getting close, and he was really happy in my last performance. They, they were all watching. So, um, I think, I mean, just everything leading up kind of helped me I mean, you just had to be right place, right time, but not, I wasn't like, I didn't end up in the right place, right time. I, I was, I came, you know, I made myself readily available. Is this the, the, the least amount of time that you've ever had between fights or even the shortest amount of time you've ever picked up a fight yeah. throughout your young career? Yeah. I mean, I've tried to do this. I mean, it, it, like I've been healthy before and I've tried to do this. I've never fought. I never fought twice in three months. Yeah, let alone I just fought twice in three weeks. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I was still dealing with little like nicks and um, bangs and bruises from the last fight. I mean, it wasn't an easy fight by any means either. But I mean, I was gonna take this fight regardless on wh- whoever it was. Like you just these kind of calls don't come. You know what I mean? Well, you have fought in front of of large crowds, certainly at the Blaisdell on a couple of Bellator cards. Um, you know, you, you are a known commodity here in Hawaii for sure uh, and certain corners of the MMA world. But obviously that, that goal for any MMA fighter is to fight in the UFC. So when you do learn that you got the invitation, albeit on short notice, what feeling did you have? What went through you at that moment in time? And how long did it take you to just sort of get into full fight mode within a few days? Oh yeah, that that that's where it got kind of crazy. Is when I finally got the call. Um, you know, initially I'm like, whoa, like I was just doing like a strength and conditioning workout to finally get my, you know, get me back in, get me back in, get me back in training mode, um, and kind of fully go all out because I was doing hotel workouts for like a whole week. Um, so I'm kind of getting. Um, and he calls me, like I'm literally like, sitting down. And then he, te- you know, he tells me on FaceTime, like, I'm kind of just tripping out. But um, in a sense, I'm, like, just more relieved. Like, everything has, everything, you know, came to fruition. Like, I, I was here and everything happened. Um, I, um, I can finally say, like, I didn't waste my time, you know. Um, and then, yeah, and then after that, it was just more relieved that that uh, I, I, I'm able to, uh, I'm in a position to where, I can, you know, make some decent coin and um, do what I love now. Not, I'm not, I'm not chasing it to where it is. Now it's finally here. And then, so the switch kind of happened. Like um, it was a roller coaster of like emails and paperwork, and you know, sitting next to a fax machine for like pre- a couple hours, and then just filling out more paperwork and phone calls. It kind of didn't. The f- switch didn't really come until I had to check into the UFC hotel, and then the quarantine started um, and then when we kind of rested for about a few hours and we had our first workout in the, in the hotel room. And then, um, yeah, that's when it kind of, that's when it kind of started like Tuesday night, but even so like it didn't really switch 
completely until until all of us were here until my, my uncle ron landed in the morning and then my uh ray landed at that at that the next wednesday night and everything kind of kind of felt like um felt like home like as in it was another fight week again it was just another fight week you've mentioned uh you know your family a couple times right your uncle your your cousin that you come from a family of of mixed martial arts of fighters how 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 much was that an influence for you growing up and what's it been like having those guys in your corner throughout this journey oh it's been been a big influence i mean just just the fact that we we were able to be it's i mean the i think the biggest influence is this was like i feel like 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 right out the womb, when you open my eyes, like I'm looking at Super Brawls. If you you would ask me, right? Like that's I I I I remember like I remember those the, that spinning strobe light right coming right at that time. I to this day I don't um and I do yeah I remember I remember T J Thompson's voice. You know what I mean? Like so clear, um and all that from like from that exposure alone, being exposed to all all of that at a young age, um. That I think that was the biggest factor on on me, like like um, still chasing the dream. You know what I mean? Like that's all I knew. That, that was all I knew. I wasn't. I mean, yeah. That I mean that and like the closest other thing was like Colt Brennan. You know, Colt Brennan days on like magnified sports in Hawaii. I mean, it was that and for us it was Super Brawls and Rum on the Rocks. And um, I mean that 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 played a big influence. And then just from that point on, like just trying to chase that and chase chase the UFC was is has always been the the big thing. I mean if 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 the Super Bowl was still around, to me that would be the biggest thing. I mean because that's right at home. Um everybody everybody at home loves it. And you know that that every every event was sold out. So I mean that would be so much more convenient. But now I mean I I'm at a good place. Um you know to actually to, uh, and there's good exposure here. I mean, with the UFC, the it's just a brand, and um, yeah. But I mean, from there, as co- collectively as a family, it was just like it's just like second nature. Um, yeah, we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna fight. We're gonna fight. That's it. You know, like um, there some people think that we're crazy. Like you know, like I think like in the beginning, like our our wives, their families, they they they, they kind of like they kind of think it's crazy. Their families think it's kind of crazy. Like especially when we're not in the UFC or we're not in the PFL yet. It's, it's like, you know, I mean, even my grandpa, he, uh, no, on my Filipino side, he's like, oh, you should get a job, right? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, now, now he's not saying that. So it's like, it's, it's that's where I say, like, it's much of a relief. It's like, I finally made, I finally, like, they now they see, like, everything coming to, every, every coming, every coming to play. Like, everything is happening for a reason now. Has the has the UFC given you an indication of of what could come next now that you picked up this win? Uh, do, do you know much of what the future, at least in the short term, uh, kind of looks like for you schedule wise? Um, no, I don't. I know. I mean, I know they're really happy. Sean Shelby, um, he texted me that night. He was like to like save my money. <laughs> he said he said save my money, but I think they. I think um, I think I gotta heal up my face first. I just gotta check on that. But everything else is fine. Um, but I mean, I would like to get back. Literally, like any time after my my son is born in October, um, just to be home for the, for the birth, that would be the biggest thing. I mean, I, um, anytime, anytime after that, a week after that, a couple, couple weeks after that, is cool with me. Um, 
to get back to work. But um, that was the biggest struggle. So I was pushing it all the way. My wife was pushing it all the way. And she was like, she was telling me like, why don't you just try to be there till like mid-September? And then when in, she was like, yeah, okay, maybe we'll try that. Or it was like, why don't you be here too when your grandma comes back? Because she's in Hawaii right now. Um, I was like, okay, maybe we'll do that. And she comes back September 9th. She's like, well, maybe you should try to stay till like mid-September, uh, mid, because there's still more shows. I was like, ah, okay, maybe we'll try to do that. And then she was she was push, pushing it all the way, and she's due like the first week of October. So, I mean, she was she she was sold out, like, and then – which that got me motivated. Like, yeah, okay, I'm not coming home without a job. So I was pressing my manager. I'm like, hey, my wife told me don't come back to at least this date if I have to. And then, um, you know, it, it didn't take that long. And so I'm so blessed. Yeah, I mean, all I had to do, all I was left to do is just, is just perform. Yeah, it's amazing how things work out sometimes uh, under these circumstances. Uh, what also has been amazing is what you've exhibited in the ringer cage uh what seven of your eight victories are by unanimous decision so they've gone the distance so what you have continued to show is this endurance and this ability to sort of stay in tough fights and stay in the game and, and it was obviously exemplified uh on saturday uh, where does that come from how much focus do you have on your conditioning and and sort of the cardio side of things and 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 how, how do you maintain that intensity throughout three full rounds? Um, I like to tell myself that I don't have any really any special gifts of speed, power. Um, but in MMA terms, when, I, when we put it all together, you know, I feel like I'm not the best boxer. I'm not the best wrestler or kickboxer. But when you put it to MMA terms, I've been around it so long that I feel like I have a very IQ. And, and you put it on a nutshell, I think that's where I, I'm, I'm the best. So for me, I feel like, I make cardio my best attribute and, you know, I can go, I can go a long way. Everything plays in, plays into my favor. And I just try to, I mean, there's not, I, I train cardio like every day, even if it's light cardio, hard cardio, every day I'm doing something. I mean, my uncle Rada always, he, he tells me, hey, you, you gotta, you gotta rest, you gotta rest your body. I'm like, I get like, I, I go into like paranoia if I'm like not doing anything. And so I, even if it's like jumping rope for like half an hour, I got to do something like on the weekend. She's like, no, you should, you should at least completely rest your body. Like one whole day. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to. I feel like, uh, I feel like, um, I don't know. I just, I just have like, I feel like that's, that's my thing. Like the, I want, if there's one thing I'm not going to, I'm going to have, it's, it's my cardio. I mean, I would, I would love to finish fights. I would love to get in there and get out and just be like, yes, that's done. You know what I mean? But it hasn't gone that way, but I think, I think the long distance, I mean, the, the fights that I've been in, the full 15 minutes so far, it's actually helped me. It helped, helped me get, get to these past two fights. I already know I can go long. I already know I can do, um, be, um, go the 15 minutes and be in there. And now the opponents are getting tougher. It just makes it a little bit easier um, to push all the way through because I've been yeah. there before. Yeah, because I imagine even for your opponents, when they look at you, especially now here moving forward, uh, they're going to be like, all right, this, this guy doesn't seem to ever have to pace himself. Uh, yeah. You're just kind of going for it because you have the confidence that uh, you, you won't gas out, that you'll have, yeah. have that ability to make it through. Well, yeah, I mean, that too, like that's part of the strategy because I know I can go along is that I'm just going to keep going because if they, if they, keep, if they keep engaging with me, then they're going to get, you know, they're, they're, they're going to get tired. Um, 
So, I mean, a lot of it is, I, I mean, I do that a lot in practice, even when I'm not in the best shape and I'm starting out camp, I still try to do that because um, I want, I, I feel like, you know, once it fatigue sets in on both sides, it'll be a lot easier. I, I feel like I could see things a lot better. They're a lot slower. So, um, yeah, I do use that to my advantage. I mean, I, I think that that's a, that's a, I mean, I, I, I'm just going to keep rolling with it I mean, until, until I start getting some finishes. Then, um, I mean, why not? Yeah, and I know, you know, taking this UFC fight, you, you, you I believe, got some access, right, to, to the Performance Institute and, and learning and, and taking things to the next level when it comes to just getting your body prepared. What kind of access did you get and, and what'd you get, what you know, did you come away with? Um. Yeah, so they're just running like a bunch of fitness tests on me. On I, I don't even know. They're just like taking a lot of data on me and like just moving my body around. They're like taking all these numbers, and I could just, I could just, I mean, I could just see it that they 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 just take it to a whole next level on like especially the t- um on my body composition on and the weight that I'm at and and how healthy it is for uh, um to be at this weight, if I could go a lower weight, if I, if my body would be good at a heavier weight. So, I mean, they look at all angles and um, especially like even injuries or like, um, like range of motion on things. They're looking at if like how, how I can improve like the range of motion on this arm to even out on that arm. So, I mean, it's been a real eye, good, good eye opener, um, you know, that like I, to take everything, everything serious, you know, it's just not, it's not just, it's just not just like some barbaric fight. Okay, we're just you guys do fight, boom, and then you guys go back to you guys camps, and then somebody, and then you're gonna find another fight. Uh, they they, they want us to be in the best shape possible when we get in there, and I just think that's cool. I mean, yeah, they want us to, you know, perform and go all out, but at the same time, they want us to do it like at full like optimization, and I think that's that's I mean that's that's very cool and um, very eye opening. Did, did, did you get any of that uh, feedback just yet? I mean, is that something you had considered, uh, you know, whether dropping down a weight class or going up, you know, 145 seems to suit you, but uh, is that something you even considered before or, or were interested in? Well, I was at 135 for the majority of my career um, until my last three fights. And I fought at 135. And I just noticed that um, my training, what my training wasn't, it was more tailored to cutting weight, you know, because I do walk around like once, uh, like one high sixties. So getting to one thirty-five at my size and my percentage of body fat was really tough. Um, I would, I never did miss weight by any means, but um, I just noticed that I was more so working out to cut, um, make weight, you know, rather than um, rather than trying to improve on my game. And um, even even my eating, I was like, now I can now I'm I'm eating to train, I'm not training so I can eat. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like jumping on the scale after like every practice for 135, and fight weeks were like brutal. Now fight weeks, I still cut some weight. I still cut like 15 pounds or you know 12 pounds, but I mean it's more so to it's more of a dis it's of a discipline factor not um you know just to it lets me know that i back in fight weight just just some water weight no i'm not not draining myself crazy i'm not looking like a complete zombie and then um i'm able to fight at a weight that i i can i'm training the best at so i mean 
I trained the I would say I trained the best at like 160, 162. I can get back up to that. I can get back up to that weight and right after I weigh in and you know feel good like how how I would feel in my best sparring sessions. That's because that's how what I wanna. That's what I wanna fight at is the weight that I that I spar the best at. So I mean, I think one on forty five is the right now is the best weight for me until un, unless they can figure something out and when the pay goes up because because <laughs> fighting at one thirty five just like I can't take a last minute fight. Um, and then, um, I need like at least like eight weeks and eight weeks, meaning like, I hope that guy doesn't pull out at the end because I don't be like, I'm going to go nuts because I need to fight if I'm going to cut this weight, you know? So, I mean, right now, I mean, I've thought about it, like going back down to 135, like if, if there's higher stakes, you know, and somebody else could like help me full on and, um, we're making a weight and seeing if it's actually like. Um, it, it'll. I, I'm healthy enough to do it, but um, but I think 145 is good right now. I'm talking with Kai Kamaka, the third, fresh off his UFC victorious debut. Uh, your nickname, the Fighting Hawaiian. Where did that come from? You seem to have sort of embraced that uh, to to a large degree in your career. Yeah, um, it kind of came. Um, so I went to Midland University in um uh, in Fremont, Nebraska. Um, I wrestled over there, and um. Well, the the gym that I was training at, there was a bunch of um, UFC fighters there. I think um, head coaches Rang Jensen, another guy you guys might recognize, like Houston Alexander. Um, so they trained there, and then the the name just started floating around when I was in the gym, um, and I it just kind of stuck stuck with me. Guys, guys, guys liked it, and um, yeah, I just kind of embraced it, you know. And to me, like the fighting Hawaiian. Is some is is a lot like the fighting Irish, you know what I mean? Like we have we we have that we have that spirit of like that never give up spirit, and but it, but it comes with a lot of aloha, and um, yeah, now that's just I mean I yeah I do I do embrace it now, and everybody everybody seems to like tag it on, so I mean I just keep rolling with it. Yeah, I I love it. I love the imagery of it. I, th- I think your story particularly because. You know, it's a fraternity, right? All of the the island guys who have gotten yeah. into the the fight game, uh, and I know that there's a connection that just about everyone has. Uh, but your story is so incredible to me because of your history and your family's roots in this game. And you know, you were talking about the Super Brawl and Rumble on the Rock and Icon Days, and man, I remember those so well. It was such a highlight, uh, certainly for for me as as a broadcaster. Um, and so, just to wear that when you step into the the cage or the octagon to sort of have that history behind you where it's not just I'm representing the 50th state, but you're also representing your family's history in this game, which represents the 50th state. That's got to be kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, it is cool. Like I was just a kid at the time and I would, I would love those fights and like when my uncles fought and, but at the same time, I was, I was like that, that little kid that was um, just running around the Blaisdell running up and down crazy, a bunch of us, and you know, like um, no, no. I mean, I've grown all the way up. 20, I'm twenty, like this, twenty years since then, and now I'm in the now I'm in the UFC. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's pretty cool. But I feel like, shoot, I mean, it could have been me. It could have been any of my any of my other family members. And I just, I'm glad that I I can represent. You know, um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's cool because I still have like images in my head right now popping up of like. Just, just 
I mean, right, like the the Nico Suda knockout, like all that stuff. I mean, I I remember you were broadcasting that, but even prior to that, all all those um, all those uh, Super Brawls and stuff like that. Those were like those are big. Those are those are way bigger than like um what like you would say is um LFA right now, um and and all all these promotions. Just like the whole Hawaii was like a hotbed for, you know, like of of fight of just yeah fighting in general at that time like there were the shows that were put on here the guys that they would bring bring down it was just the magnitude of of those super brawl events they, they're like they weren't on the cards weren't huge but they were stacked and yeah it was it was crazy yeah it was just a crazy time and we would like going to fights was like was like going to a uh, like friday night lights for us you know so I mean, I still, I, I mean, even today, I still love going to these local promotion fights, and I just love fights in general. So, I mean, going to going to fights is is that's just it's just like routine already for me, and I'm I'm just glad that yeah, I mean, from from that, I still remember, I still remember all those days, and it's just I'm just happy now that um I'm I'm in the UFC, and my my auntie, my auntie Kim, she was tripping out, she. Was, like she would call me like after the f- fight, um, you know we're back here, and she was like, "I can't, can't believe you're in the UFC." <laughs> like it's not that you're you're you you belong. It's not that you're you're um you know that you're that you didn't belong there, or because we know we all know everybody you you're good enough to be there. It's just like I can't believe it's finally here, and she's just kind of getting teary eyed, and like, she still couldn't believe it that like we're finally in the UFC. We finally we've got in. And yeah, it's been much of a relief that I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like wave my hand like, hey, look at me over here anymore. You know what I mean? I'm fi- I'm finally here, and just like, I mean, it's not like a storybook ending because I'm still writing it. Um, but to have the have my debut, the first fight of the night, which ended up fight of the night, it was it was just yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing. And and like you said, you're sort of representing your pops, you're representing, you know, Uncle Ray Brada Cooper and, and your, you know, your cousin even for, for that matter and, and Uncle Ronald June. And, um, you know, obviously their influence on you and your interest in the fight game is obvious. What about stylistically? How influential were all of them as far as, as how you put together your fight game in its current form? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, pretty good question because I think, I think I take a little bit of like of of all of them. I I think um yeah I think I, I take the ground and pound from my uncle my uncle Ronald. Um, I have that from him. I I take the you know I have this like I take glimpses of uh, I I'm always learning from from Ray on on a lot of stuff that he he does. Uh, me and him are really tight. And then but my uncle Ronald, I take the composure of him. You know because he, I mean. I, I yeah I fight I my, the he he's like if you see you ever seen him um Ray Cooper the third fight and Ray Cooper Jr fight it's day and night you know what I mean um and I think I take a little bit more of his style um my uncle Ray's style where it's, uh, as be composed but I also have that killer instinct of of my cousins too so I mean I take a little bit of everybody um and I just you know. I think it's 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 working out well. Now I'm just adding the cardio to it, and you know it's it it plays a big role because um, even my base is wrestling, but I, I even have a, I have a different style of wrestling than than Ray. I have I have more of a, like a funky style, 
of of wrestling like kind of the longer we tangle the more i'm going to prevail you know i'm, I'm more of a scrambler if, if 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 that's what you want to call it and um so um i take a little bit of everybody's and um it's it's been meshing really well well it's uh, awesome to see you made it man uh ufc victory and um only better things uh, in your future and, and we wish you the very best and we thank you for your time talking story uh, couldn't be happier for you, man. Thank you. I mean, glad glad that I'm able to talk to you guys and everybody. Everybody can you know hear hear what has got me here and everything has everything every every coach, every experience that I've had has has opened the you know has has motivated me to be here today, and you know it's it's not over yet. It's just the beginning. So I'm I'm excited. All right. Thanks once again to Kai Kamaka. That was a fun one. And congratulations to him. We wish him the very best. Can't wait to see him once again in the octagon. All right. Time for our post game. And we like to finish every episode with our best and worst here. Uh, What we have seen on both ends of the spectrum in the days leading up to these episode recordings. So let's start with our best. Jordan, why don't you uh, get us going? Yeah, best Boban. We, we were praising the Mavericks earlier. We referenced the T- inside the NBA crew on TNT. They they love him. Marcus Morris, there was the clip, right? They're standing next to each other along the free throw lane, uh, and he's telling them how much he loves Boban from their time playing together and, and just interacting across the league. He's seven and a half feet of joy, right? He, he goes out there. He's actually playing a pretty significant role for the Mavs. Uh, and then the postgame interview they had, they had him do the lurch, you rang, uh, he embraced that. He said he was nervous. He said he thanked them for interviewing him instead of Luca uh, for like the first time all season. Uh, so he's just a guy who is enjoying life. He's a movie star. We know him from John Wick. And just a guy who seems like a great teammate to have in your locker room. So my best is just, just Boban. Just Boban Manjanovic. He's my guy. Yeah, he's a likable dude. Former San Antonio Spur and maybe as lovable and gentle a giant as there has been in the NBA? Like, uh, who was a more lovable, gentle giant? Would it be Boban or George Murasan? I think that's a tight race right there. Yeah, that's a that's a good battle. I'm, I'm going recency bias. I'll stick with Boban. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be a trend here for you in this uh, particular show. All right, uh, let's go with my best, Braden Fejoko. Uh, that's right, the Farrington alum won a national title as a D-lineman at LSU. He's been getting some legit camera time on HBO's Hard Knocks. He's trying to make the Chargers squad as an undrafted rookie, as we pointed out when we were talking about Cole McDonald with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, It's a long shot for a lot of these rookies, uh, but that signature effervescent smile has been part of the the Braden Fejoko segments, if you will. It looks like because of social distancing issues, a lot of the rookies were just asked to record themselves, like almost selfie style, as they were making their way through the rookie hotels uh, and facilities. So just wishing Braden the best uh, it's great to see him uh, getting this kind of, of publicity and, and we really uh, hope that uh, he uh, does something significant to be able to uh, solidify his status with the team whether it be as an active roster member or at least a practice squad member uh, that's what we're uh, hoping for here for Braden Fejoko all right with that let's get to our worst what is your worst here for this episode Jordan yeah my worst the AP football top 25 poll Apparently, it has come out this week that the AP has instructed voters that they can vote and include teams that aren't playing in the fall. So that's right. Ohio State out of the Big Ten can be included. The Pac-12. Heck, Hawaii could make the poll at this point, even though they're not playing in the fall. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So, so if Alabama, 
LSU, all the SEC teams beat up on each other, say they got two losses each or something like that because they're playing actually like a full conference schedule here. Um, does undefeated Ohio State have a claim <laughs> the national championship at the end of the season? That's kind of where we're headed, right? That, I mean, they won't have a blemish on their record, so uh, probably as clean a resume as anybody else in the country uh, would have. You're right. That is peculiar, man. What a weird, weird, strange year we are about to embark on in college sports. It's already really weird on the pro side, uh, but college, it's about to get even weirder. All right, my worst. Reds broadcaster Tom Brenneman has been suspended for a hot mic incident that occurred the other day where his use of a homophobic slur made it out over the air. Brenneman issued an on-air apology later in the broadcast, which was difficult to listen to in part because of his allusion to the fact that maybe that was the last time he'd ever wear a headset. He seemed very sad and hurt and contrite, uh, but it was also hard to listen to because of the fact that he had to interrupt that very serious and contrite moment to reference a Nick Castellanos home run, which was kind of awkward and maybe even like a little bit funny and humorous, almost Brockmeyer style. But uh, yeah, Brenneman is the son of a Hall of Fame announcer, Marty Brenneman. You probably know Tom for many years on the air for Fox in both baseball and football. Very popular. That Brenneman name is very uh, revered in Cincinnati. So I'm not sure what the long-term impact will be, but in this sort of cancel culture era, probably doesn't bode well here for Tom Brenneman moving forward. So uh, it's my worst, and it's just uh, a cautionary tale, right? Be wary of the hot mic situation, and maybe just overall generally try to avoid saying those kinds of things. Yeah, that, that's the golden rule, right? Always always assume the mic is hot, and then the, the better rule in just life is, is probably just don't say derogatory things. Look, it, it, it was like the script of Brock Meyer. That's how surreal it was yesterday. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to laugh about what is a very tough situation, I'm sure, for him and his family. But, uh, yeah, it reminded me of an episode of Brock Meyer for sure. All right, hit us up on Twitter, at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helly, at TalkSports808. Jordan will work on his Wi-Fi connection. Until next time, Jordan, uh, have a good one, bro. I'll see you, man.